0: short
1: And welcome to the 1CA podcast. I'm your host, John McEllegate. We have two special guests calling in from Korea, and we're gonna to talk today about what the civil affairs mission has been in the Korean theater operations and how it has shifted dramatically with the COVID-19 pandemic. Our two guests are Lieutenant Colonel Rachel Sullivan and Major Mike Carlson. Lieutenant Colonel Rachel Sullivan has been in the civil affairs regiment for 13 years serving in multiple roles throughout the Special Operations and General Purpose Forces communities. She has served in multiple countries across the CENTCOM, UCOM, and INDOPACOM AORs, and has over four years of Joint Forces Headquarters experience. She is currently the Civil Military Operations Branch Chief for U.S. Forces Korea and ROC-U.S. Combined Forces Command in the Republic of Korea. Major Mike Carlson has been in the Civil Affairs Regiment for six years, serving in multiple roles throughout the the Special Operations and General Purpose Forces Units. He has served in several countries throughout the U.S. indo area of responsibility as a Civil Affairs Team Leader, CMOC Chief, and Humanitarian and Civic Assistance Planner. He currently serves as the S-9 in the 65th Medical Brigade, United States 8th Army, in the Republic of Korea. Lieutenant Colonel Sullivan and Major Carlson, welcome to the 1CA podcast. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to have you, especially uh, considering everything that's going on right now and how your roles and your missions have shifted. What we want to do for, for the listeners is turn to Lieutenant Colonel Sullivan first. If you could, ma'am, uh, please frame for the listeners, before the pandemic, what was the mission of CA Forces in KTO? Absolutely.
2: Um, first of all, thanks, John, for having us today. Um, Mike and I are both really happy to be here and happy to tell everyone a little bit about what we've been doing here in Korea. Um, So civil affairs on the Korean Peninsula in armistice is an alliance operation. It is very similar to serving at virtually any post within the United States of America, only you're inherently operating within a host nation, and in many cases as part of a combined force, uh, both at the Iraq-U.S. 2nd, Combined Infantry Division, and then also the ROC-US Combined Forces Command. Um, So alliance operations are very, very different than serving in the context of Iraq or Afghanistan, Syria, or or even the peacekeeping-type operations we're used to from Kosovo and Bosnia days. Um, Alliance operations are much more combined in that in many cases we find ourselves deferring to the opinion of our rock counterparts. Um, the by with and through relationship is not necessarily a formal one, but more a we are both working by with and through each other on a daily basis uh, to move the ROC US alliance forward um, and to uh to, to work simultaneously uh on the uh, to defend the Korean peninsula. Um, so here in Korea we do not have uh civil affairs formations. uh, What we have are staff at the headquarters level. Uh, I am at the joint headquarters level. At the 8th Army level, we've got a relatively robust G9 staff. And then across our subordinate units, our Army subordinate units, at least, uh, we've got very small uh, nine cells. And prior to COVID-19, we spent the majority of our time in a plans role, Uh, helping to provide the civil military operations, civil affairs operations, and stability operations planning aspects to the operational and contingency plans that govern the Korean Peninsula.
1: And, ma'am, those operations and contingency planning have dealt uh, with aggression from North Korea and China, and those probably date all the way back to the Korean War. Is that right?
2: (laughs) Right. Absolutely. I mean, certainly uh, our Toward the north, here um, our our, the, our primary uh, contingency planning is on uh, is to deter uh, North Korean aggression, and if deterrence fails, uh, to, to be prepared to counter uh, North Korean aggression. And um, we do obviously find ourselves in the regional context of, uh, of the, the China of the counter China aggression piece, but our primary role in that is U.S. forces Korea. is is focused on
1: on North Korea. Understood. And that mission changed dramatically. So the novel coronavirus that we call SARS-CoV-2, which causes the disease that we're calling COVID-19, likely originated from bat coronaviruses. Coronaviruses are not new. Um, I think the other ones that listeners may recall are SARS and MERS, acronyms for other coronaviruses we've seen in the last 10 to 15 years. Uh, but this new one, a novel one, uh, therefore first time seeing contact with humans, probably came from um, these bats or some other animal jumped over to humans, and the first outbreak occurred in China, which is in Korea, your big neighbor to the north and west of the Korean peninsula. Could you describe the, the outbreak in Korea? And uh, this is a question for Major Carlson. We want to try to frame for people uh, what this was like when cases started appearing and in your role in the 65th Med, what was the initial response?
0: Yeah, thanks, John, um, and certainly thanks for taking the time to talk to us. So I, I kind of had a, a front row seat from the, uh, the perspective of being on the 65th Medical Brigade staff and um, I think the one thing as far as takeaways for listeners, um, as it relates to, to how COVID has played out, is just the the rapidity uh, and the, the the broad scale at which this evolved. As a soundbite, for example, in the beginning of February, across the entire peninsula, there were about 46 known confirmed cases. Towards the end of February, that that number was well over 1,700. In the brigade, the initial response at the direction of USMK and 8th Army headquarters was really to set up a quarantine facility as a precautionary measure for any service members that we had coming back from leave in mainland China. So that that response effectively involved, uh, involved a few uh, medical providers and, and staff officers in the 65th Medical Brigade and the functions required to track just the status of individuals in quarantine, and then again, in a very short amount of time, that response evolved to what it is now, it's a multi-echelon, highly complex, rapidly evolving operation. And I think the takeaway from my perspective on the staff is just the importance of being able to frame these future requirements, um, and then rapidly, in near real time, remission and task organize as required. So, for example, for myself
1: personally, at the beginning of February, when the confirmed caseload was fairly low, I was still mostly doing my day job with um, the things that Colonel Sullivan had mentioned as far as serving in a civil affairs, civil military operations planning capacity. The 65th Medical Brigade maintains various agreements with post-station hospitals for our providers to maintain their skills. Um, things of that nature took up a majority of my time while still maintaining Okay, great. And you, you go to war with who you have, right? And um, in this case, when the mission changed dramatically and took a, a wild left turn, did you have to quickly figure out what this COVID-19 was all about? What is this virus? And I guess you're surrounded by a bunch of medical professionals. You know, Did you have virologists on staff and epidemiologists, or was everyone trying to look stuff up online and, and phone a friend to find out what was going on?
2: when we had to deal with, you know, a global pandemic and its impact not only to the Korean Peninsula, but also to our command, Um, but we could not have been um, better positioned or better represented in the early days, especially than by having him here, because he has had direct tieback not only with uh, the U.S. CDC and uh, with the U.S. public, U.S. Army Public Health Command, um, but he has got a tremendous relationship here with the Korean CDC which was, has really helped to uh, facilitate our knowledge and understanding not only of the novel coronavirus, but also of how our piece of the overall response fits into the greater global response.
1: Yeah, great points. And thank you for sharing those kudos and uh, lauding the uh, the people who are with you. It takes a team. We want to talk about the, the connection to civil affairs and civil affairs doctrine. we'll bring this back to... Um, your backgrounds uh, in civil affairs with the Army and how it ties into what you're doing with the COVID-19 response. Uh, the, the FM 3 57 for the Army, um, the Civil Affairs Operation Field Manual, talks about the uh, core competencies and, and tasks under those. Can we talk about maybe civil information management and then go to civil affairs support to staff operations? Uh, Colonel Sullivan, starting with you and, and U.S. Forces Korea, what have you done related to SIM and the process that relates to COVID-19 in your day job now?
2: That's great. That's a really great question. And I think that civil information management has been, um, of the civil affairs core tasks, the key one uh, that not only as a civil affairs officer, but we have found ourselves as a greater joint staff having to do. Certainly in the context of a, uh, a pandemic, a response to a pandemic, virtually all of the information that's out there is going to have some sort of civil nature to it. Um, and so that upfront, I think that we found it very challenging. Um, like everyone, we were both um, wanting more information, but also drinking from the fire hose when it came to receiving the information that was coming out. And so it took us a little time initially to figure out what was going to be most important and how to prioritize what we were looking at. Um, but Initially each command had their own common operating picture and different ways that they were using that. And in some cases we were using the same information, in some cases pieces of the same information. And so it took us a, a, it took us about a week to 10 days to really merge all of that together into a bottom up but also top down fed approach um, that allowed our units the information that was relevant from a military standpoint on how the coronavirus was impacting our force um, and our families and our our, our civilians, uh, civilian partners, but then also from the top down, um, how the activity of novel coronavirus outside our gates could be posing an unseen threat to communities, um, to the communities right outside our gates where a lot of our service members and their families live. Once we got everything merged and started gathering things and, and reached an echeloned approach at this, at the USFK level, we made the decision to maintain the community top. And so our common operating picture focuses on pulling the information from the Rock government, uh, translating all of that, and then sharing what the trace data is and what hotspots have been identified particularly in areas outside U.S. installations across the peninsula. Um, we collate all of this onto a Google Maps product in order to inform our community, whether it's service members, family members, our DA civilians and their families, our contractors, our Jodea employees, our ACES employees, everyone out there. We want them to know where are these hotspots off-toast, if you do have an issue, what are the hospitals that are currently at capacity and what hospitals still have capacity to deal um, with with issues? Our army community and our joint forces community are treated at the Brian D. Yalgood Army Community Hospital, but our uh, DA civilians and our contractors uh, utilize the off-post healthcare facilities. So understanding what healthcare facilities um, had that capacity, or potentially were contaminated because of novel coronavirus outbreaks was very, very important for us to be able to share. And so at the USFK level, that's where we have focused our energies. And then as we as we transition to the service component level, our service components really are looking for how do they how do they get ahead of where we are right now and look at where there might be areas of danger emerging. Um, and the, uh, the fusion cell that's been set up at 8th Army has really had a key role in that. So we'll turn it over to Mike to talk a little bit about that process. Well,
0: for Sim, I'd I really like to frame this and then ride that uh, um, common operating picture that we maintain at the fusion cell that, that Colonel Sullivan mentioned. So framing this, i like to briefly mention, so civil, uh, civil engagement, Challenged my thinking um, and things that I've learned from the medical community that I find myself working with that that I would then say after this would make me better at civil information management. An example of one of these wicked problems is the data that is being managed and tracked here for COVID is of course medically sensitive and, and private information so all of that information, when it goes outside of the medical chain of custody here in USMK, is, is sanitized individuals' names and protected information, it doesn't go outside of the medical chain of custody. So the problem statement of how do you maintain the granularity that is required to ensure that we don't miss anything, but then still be able to broadly communicate the common operating picture in a way that's not so diluted, it, it's, it's just not effective. Um, and I, I've learned a lot in terms of the staff work that's required, the systems that need to be in place to take that data, manage it, and then communicate it at echelon once it leaves the medical chain of custody. Um, and I would say that just applies more broadly, again, to information management. Carl had mentioned that at USFK, um, they maintain the common operating picture that, that is kind of for the community writ large, at um, 8th Army in the future. So um, thanks to the incredible work of Colonel Steve Battle and his G9 shop, we've maintained the common operating picture on Sydney. Civil Affairs personnel listening to this might be familiar with Sydney as a kind of a program of record for civil information management on the classified side. The uh, Sydney common operating picture that we maintain here at Eighth Army um, is on the unclassified side, and that's also thanks to the heroic efforts of the Eighth Army knowledge management section, but really our goal with that is to communicate a common operating picture that informs future deci- decision points, whether it be risk mitigation, courses of action, HP Con levels, commander decision points as it relates to a variety of, of different things that we talk about projecting out into the future, and that common operating picture is, is fed by a multitude of data streams, whether that's data pulls that we get from the Korean Center for Disease Control, USFK internal reporting partnerships that we have with local public health officials. And, um, I, I would also say that that Sydney common operating picture, we've maintained a level of situational awareness on the COVID-19 developments in the United States because certainly everyone realizes by now that, that COVID is ubiquitous globally, and you can't really have a common operating picture that's just isolated to Korea because of the movement of personnel and things back and forth. So we've had to lean forward and develop a lot of that understanding uh, in areas of the United States where we have service members coming to and from, and that that information has been shared with uh, different organizations back in the U.S., again, thanks in large part to the amazing work done by Colonel Battle, the G9 shop at 8th Army, and the 8th Army Knowledge Management folks.
1: Collaboration with the Zone. folks you've been listening to an episode of the 1ca podcast when we come back from the break we'll speak with lieutenant colonel rachel sullivan and major mike carlson regarding civil affairs support to staff operations and some takeaways for ca team leaders folks working in the cmoc and anyone operating in a joint interagency environment we'll be right back This episode is brought to you by Third Order Effects. Third Order Effects is built for clients in the U.S. government, allied nations, and industries in the private sector which operate overseas. Interested in learning more? Or maybe you'd like to join our network? Or your organization is looking for governance and cultural advisors? Contact us at thirdordereffects.com. Welcome back to the 1CA Podcast. I'm your host, John McElligot, and this is a special episode focused on the COVID-19 response in Korea. Uh, We have two special guests, Lieutenant Colonel Rachel Sullivan and Major Mike Carlson. I have a follow-up question to what we discussed uh, a minute ago about the civil information management process and what you've had to do. Uh, Major Carlson, you talked about how you also needed to cover information that's coming from around the world and the United States. That is a lot. Colonel Sullivan, you mentioned before how it's been a fire hose. Um, could either one of you just talk about the the op tempo that you have right now and how there really is so much information. By the time you wake up, the world has changed and you have new data coming in. How do you manage that?
2: Whew, yeah, it's a doozy. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> so uh, no, that's, that's a great question, and it really is um, – really going back to the very end of January when we were right around the Lunar New Year holiday and uh, and first started hearing about what, at the time, we were jokingly calling the Wuhan flu. Um, we, we initially stood up the 24-hour upsell that remained in place very briefly, but then stood down um, because it wasn't yet clear that this was something that was going to uh, have the global impact since about the second weekend in February, uh, U.S. forces Korea, and uh, and then certainly by around the twentieth of February, the rest of the Republic of Korea has been on twenty four hour operations across the entire staff in direct support of the COVID nineteen response, and that has been really a crushing battle rhythm, particularly when you take into consideration the already small sizes of the staff, and then also uh, the fact that for the purposes of protecting the force and maintaining social distance, we are working in a largely virtual and telework environment. Our USFK headquarters, as an example, typically would have about 350 people that work in it, On a daily basis right now, we have about 60 people that are working from our headquarters. And instead of having those 35 to 40 people that would normally be gathered on the crisis action team floor in one location, able to easily collaborate and easily talk face-to-face in order to make sure we don't uh, wipe out our entire team with the potential of one exposure, we've spread that out and we're operating from really within the headquarters, four or five different conference rooms that have been converted into operations centers, and we maintain a VTC bridge between all of our rooms, and then down with all of the components simultaneously. It's been really, I think, a very interesting process to see unfold as we changed our normal crisis action team response uh, in the early days where we were all sitting shoulder to shoulder 45 of us in one room tracking everything on three large screens to now doing things from a bit more distributed manner and even being able to dial in for the sinks from DCS so that folks can work from home to to maximize the telework um, capability. And as you mentioned, it it takes that whole team in order to process all of that information that's coming in overnight, as well as all of the information that we're gathering from our, our sources here, be they local, or, or internal, it, it takes that entire team. And everybody's got to be uh, fully focused and fully, you know, all in for that. And I, I, we've really seen everybody come together to do that in a way that has probably given us the best staff training we ever could have accomplished, um, well beyond any training that our exercises could give us. And
0: uh, just for my end on that, John, I just, again, to have to – really highlight like my brigade's leadership during this problem. And I've mentioned this at the beginning with the ability to predict future problems and then rapidly task, organize, and surge on problem sets. And we've seen multiple evolutions throughout the COVID response in terms of what the requirements were and whether that be differences in scale or new requirements altogether. And at every step along the way, my brigade, thanks to the leadership of 8th Army and Yusuf K., has managed to stay ahead of those problem sets with the right people at the right time at the right place. And, and like Colonel Selvin had mentioned, really, not that this is a replacement for sleep, but I will
1: say that uh, that literally everyone is is growing extremely hard. Uh, it is a, in, in all sense and purpose, a combat operation except for. The the enemy, so to speak, is just different. But in terms of that intensity and that uh, shared effort across the board, it it parallels any other experience I've had in my military career at this point. Can you put this into context of um, the rest of the work that you're doing, civil affairs support to staff operations? You're you're in Korea, and South Korea has been considered um, increasingly, I believe, a, a shiny example of a nation's response and South Korea is much smaller than the United States has fewer people but they've done a pretty good job of responding so what lessons have you learned from that How has that fed into your process of supporting staff and, and how have you adjusted the uh, that task civil affairs support to staff operations task <laughs>
2: up front because I think it's really pertinent for anybody that's listening at home right now. First and foremost, uh, some of the best support that that we can give is to offer up the product, um, the lessons that we've learned, the things that maybe hit us at week four of this haven't quite yet hit the United States. General Abrams, the USFK commander, uh, has been has very effectively reached out to many of his peers and other staffs around the world that are now, um, you know, fighting this enemy, and offered our um, our support and our products and anything that we can do to, to get everybody not having to create all of this uh, from scratch on a whiteboard and, and then figure out uh, what it all means. So first, before I even go into uh, the support that. We've found ourselves giving here. Let me just give that offer of support to anyone who needs it. In in terms of civil affairs support staff operations, there's really two things that I want to highlight. The first is we are very used to civil relationships being our domain. We're very used to being that bridge between the military and the civilian community and a host nation. And, um, and, and we're, we're very good, I think, at realizing that we're the ones that reach out to NGOs, to IOs, to, to all of those other organizations. In the context of this operation, what we found very, very quickly here in Korea was that there isn't anyone that covers the civil relationship with the U.S. entities that work in support of... installations here in Korea, Uh, for example, uh, the Department of Defense Education Activity, ACEs, DECA, uh, the Defense uh, Commissary Agency, they didn't have, other than the garrison staff, which the garrison staff uh, found themselves being very outwardly focused, having to focus on how to keep the novel coronavirus off our um, bases and garrison. So there wasn't really anyone to provide that significant focus with our civilian partners that aren't GS employees within our ranks. And so even though in the past I've never found myself coordinating for schools with a local US entity, that is one of the things that, uh, that I was called upon to do at the USFK level very quickly. Coordination with DODEA in terms of initially the closure and now, as um, as Korea does come out of the critical phase of of their battle against coronavirus, looking toward when will it be time to perhaps reopen our schools that service our U.S. service uh, members' families, uh, our GS families, and so forth. Um, so, I would I would say, in terms of the uh, support to staff operations, we have to remember perhaps that in a more of a civil support operation or response to global pandemic within a host nation where we're focusing inwardly on ourselves rather than having to help the host nation who is fully capable of dealing with coronavirus. Um, We have to be open to our civilian population may look a little different and may actually speak the same language for once uh, that we do. for those that may be finding themselves on the leading edge of this, is really the importance of working with our partners uh, in the the information domain and the importance of public messaging. We all know the importance of public messaging in combat operations and in our contingency operations, and the non lethal piece of that, civil affairs role in that, is certainly uh, readily recognized. But really, in this type of a situation, our role in that is just as critical. Um, one of the things that we've found here is that while we are very, very effective at the, in the military formation of communicating directions and guidance in military speak, we remain very challenged as green suitors in communicating those directions and guidance in a manner that can be readily understood even by our family members or by, again, those civilian agencies that work to support us. So um, assisting with public messaging and ensuring that things are framed in a civilian context and ensuring that our, that our message out to our own internal civilian partners uh, remains consistent with the commander's guidance and with what the commander is trying to achieve, uh, while also making them part of the overall response to Uh, COVID-19 has really, I think, been a critical role for us at this
1: level. Yeah, good points. Major Carlson, how about you from the 65th? I mentioned the fusion cell a couple of times. So I find myself working at the 8th Army Headquarters, and as this thing has grown over time, I really consider myself quite fortunate to be working
0: with the individuals that are in the fusion cell. So first off, the, the mission of the fusion cell is quite simply to take information from disparate streams of data that comes in real time and fuse it to feed that common operating picture on Sydney that I had mentioned to feed various decision briefs um, or course of action, analysis, working groups, and this fusion cell is made up of individuals across multiple organizations. I mentioned the 8th Army G9 shop. There's also representatives from the 8th Army Surgeon Cell, 2nd uh, Infantry Division Planners, garrison representatives, a United States Army Corps of Years, Far East District Planner. And so the challenge of the fusion cell really I found similar to work that I had done as a civil military operations center chief before this. And then you have a very small task organization.
1: get to um, some closing remarks here and your, your takeaways for CA team leaders, CMOX, and also the, the joint interagency levels. So, uh, Major Carlson, from what you've done and seen so far, what guidance would you give to CA team leaders and people working in civil military operations centers?
0: I'll frame this in line with some things that have helped me be successful to this point, and then highlight a couple of things that have certainly come up during the... Uh, the ongoing COVID response. So, I had mentioned earlier if you find yourself as a civil affairs officer, non commissioned officer in an organization like a medical brigade or a brigade combat team, or just any any different organization or working with, with different people, which you should and you can find yourself in those situations often, take a minute to take a step back and instead of, you know, we talk about kind of globally like our elevator pitch, you know, what you can bring to the table in terms of the different civil affairs tasks that you're trained to accomplish. Before doing that, I would encourage everyone to take a step back and figure out what you can learn from everyone else. And that'll just inform a a sense of what the actual ground truth is, what the actual requirements are, and it might surprise you to know that the requirements don't necessarily match what idea you had prior to coming to that situation in terms of what
1: Sullivan, what are your takeaways from working at the joint level and interagency partners? At the
2: staff level, anytime, but particularly in a situation like this, no one's going to come seek you out for your civil military experience. You've got to figure out a way to be value-added. You've got to figure out what needs to be done. You've got to figure out how that applies to the skill set that you have, and then grow well and live the consequences of not succeeding with this mission are too dire for us to get caught up in whether or not that's exactly our civil affairs role. Um, The fact is we have a role to play in this and we may not always be exactly where FM3-57 told us we will be, but we're where we are. And our contribution to the overall mission as professional army officers is far more important than our contribution to the mission as civil
1: affairs officers. Well, on that, I wanted to ask you, ma'am, if there is any contact information that you'd like to share or major Carlson for the lessons learned for the notes. Um, You had mentioned earlier that a lot of what you've been doing is sharing with other CA professionals and others within your commands and your echelons so that people don't have to reinvent the wheel. So is there anything you'd like to share with people? that will be huge because um, if there's a chance that the SARS-CoV-2 virus reemerges in the fall or next year or becomes an annual thing, just like the, the flu, then having those notes and sharing what you've learned would be immensely helpful. Thank you. Folks, you've been listening to an episode of the 1CA podcast. Our hosts are Lieutenant Colonel Rachel Sullivan she is the Civil Military Operations Branch Chief for U.S. Forces Korea and ROC-U.S. Combined Forces Command in the Republic of Korea. And Major Mike Carlson, who serves as the S-9 in the 65th Medical Brigade, United States 8th Army in the Republic of Korea. Lieutenant Colonel Sullivan and Major Carlson, thank you again very much for being in the 1CA podcast.
2: You're welcome. Thank you.
1: Hi, I'm Doug Hurst, CEO of Third Order Effects, the premier choice for governance and cultural advising. 3OE was created to fill the need for improved governance
0: advising for use by the Departments of Defense and State, USAID, foreign governments, and the private
1: sector. Contact us at thirdordereffects.com.
3: If you enjoyed this podcast and others, please remember to subscribe and hit like so the 1CA podcast team gets important feedback and support. The Civil Affairs Association is a proud sponsor of the 1CA podcast and the Unomia Journal. You can find more podcasts like this on the www.1capodcast.org. Again, that's www.1capodcast.org. The Unomia Journal is expanding its content to reach a broader audience and engagement across defense and governments to include other partners and allied countries. New sections in the Warrior Scholar Corner and the Team Room aim to deliver content useful to our members. Check out the Unomia Journal at www.unomiajournal.com. Again, that's www.unomiajournal.com. If you're not a member yet, visit the main CA Association website and find a new range of membership options. Starting with cadets or midshipmen, membership is only $10 a year. We then have our basic annual membership at $40 per year and two years at $60 or finally a three-year membership for only $80. Our most popular and best value option is a lifetime membership at a one-time price of $200. Be a member and don't miss out. 2020 is a big year with transformational changes underway. Lots of new opportunities for members. Don't miss out.
1: Thank you for spending some time with us. Please subscribe and come back for another installment of One CA. Until then, be safe and secure the victory.